You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're glad that you're joining us for another episode. If this is your first time listening, we'd like to say welcome to you, encourage you to come in and stay a while with us, listen to what we have to say, and maybe go back and check out some of our older episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, we'd encourage you to become a routine uh, downloader of our content. You can do that by becoming a subscriber. You can do that on any of the podcast applications, and you'll get content downloaded directly to your mobile device each week when we release um, our new episodes. We try to do that each week at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday evening. So again, welcome to you. For those of you who have been listening and following along for quite some time, we don't want to leave you out. We want to say thank you uh, to you as well for sticking with us and continuing to study God's Word with us. As always, I have some help that I need from our audience today. If you haven't done so already, I would really appreciate it if you could go over to uh, one of the apps that you're listening from and rate us and leave a review. Dad, I was looking at our statistics, and right now about 50% of all our listeners listen to us through the Apple Podcast uh, app. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that Apple Podcast app, there's a little place here where you can give us a number of stars and you can leave a comment. We'd really appreciate it if you'd do us a favor and do that. Uh, The reason for that is that's how all the algorithms work. Uh, The more ratings we have and the more comments we have, that pushes our content higher. And that way when someone searches, for maybe some of the topics that we've uh, covered, um, it'll push it higher in the search list so that they can find the content that we're producing here. So if you could, please do us a favor, leave a, a review and rate us there on those podcast applications. Well, Dad, on this episode, I'm excited. We're going to be wrapping up our uh, series, A Dear Church. And for the last several uh, episodes, we've been studying through the letters from Jesus to the churches found over in the book of Revelation. And on this episode, we'll be looking at the seventh and the final letter, that being the letter to the church in Laodicea. Now, many have stated, and I would agree, that perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 21st century church than this letter. Mm -hmm. Um, There are just striking parallels between the church of Laodicea and the church of today. In this letter, Jesus confronts the Laodicean Christians for having a weak, watered-down, nominal Christianity that he characterized as being lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into the detail and the heart of this letter, let's let's look at a little bit of background information uh, to give us some context to which this letter was provided to the church. First off, let's look at the city. The city of Laodicea was strategically uh, situated in the uh, Lycas Valley, and it was at the confluence of three much-traveled highways. So, again, we've talked about in a couple of our other cities where they were at kind of a, a junction point where multiple roads come together. The same could be said for Laodicea, and it was at a very busy intersection. And because of all the travel that came through that area, the city grew quickly into a highly successful commercial and financial center. Laodicea was also well known for its wealth and its manufacturing of a special eye salve, as well as a glossy black wool cloth. Interestingly, it was also located near Aropolis, uh, that was famous for the hot springs and hot water 
and also Colossae that was known for its pure cold water. We have no record of the founding of the Christian church at Laodicea, but we do know that Paul was aware of this congregation as he mentioned them in his letter to the Colossians. And as with each letter, Jesus opens his correspondence with an introduction to himself. Jesus introduces himself to the Laodiceans in an interesting way, Dad. I like this introduction. He he introduces himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, Mm -hmm. and the beginning of the creation of God. The title amen is an Old Testament title for God. And the word amen is translated from Hebrew into both Greek and English, meaning truth. And as we've talked about, I believe it was on our last episode, Jesus is the truth, and he only speaks the truth. And as such, he is the faithful and true witness. As we've said many times, uh, the way that Jesus introduces himself in these letters uh, is a foreshadowing of what his purpose for addressing the congregation is. And as the true and faithful witness, our Lord was about to tell this church the truth about their spiritual condition. Jesus also said that he was the beginning of the creation of God, but we must not get this twisted or or misunderstand here. Uh, This does not suggest that Jesus was created and therefore not eternal God. The word translated beginning means source. Jesus is the source of all creation. The Laodicean church was wealthy and they were worldly, and they needed to know this truth because their wealth was nothing compared with that of Christ and his wealth. With this foundation laid, let's take a closer look at what Jesus had to say to this lukewarm congregation. If you got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us over to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we'll be starting our study today at verse 14. And Dad, uh, go ahead, get us started here in the study. All right, as we examine this letter, I want you to notice the, the attitude of this church. Now, the attitude of the church is characterized first by indifference. I want you to listen to verses uh, 15 and 16. Jesus says about this church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you or spew you out of my mouth. Now, to be lukewarm, as we will find out, is the worst possible condition anyone could be in. It is the condition of apathy or indifference. In examining the word is used in relation to this church, we find that to be lukewarm means that you are without enthusiasm and without conviction of sin. You know, it's always been an amazement to me how some people can go to a ball game and act like Comanche Indians shouting and hollering with excitement, yet come to church the following Sunday and act like wooden Indians, never getting excited about the Word of God or doing the things of God. Furthermore, they can hear sermon after sermon and attend worship service after worship service without ever feeling a sense of sin or the conviction of God in their hearts. These people that went to the church at Laodicea were like this. They were self-centered, self-occupied, self-confident. They were self-satisfied. They had no zeal for the Word of God. But at the same time, they would not repudiate the Word. More than likely, a good percentage of these people to whom Jesus was speaking who gave lip service to the things of God but had no heart in worship, they were probably lost people. The church is a good mixture today of the true and the false. 
wheat and the tares. Jesus told us about that in one of his parables of the wheat and the tares. So they're lost people in churches today. When Christ described the church as being lukewarm, the people there knew what he was talking about. For you see, in Laodicea, there were mineral springs where people would come to bathe for health purposes. Those springs had the taste of mineral content, and they were not hot or cold. But if a person was to try to drink the water, he'd get nauseated. So the people in the church at Laodicea were nauseating to God. I wonder if the Lord gets a sick feeling when he looks down upon some of the half-hearted people in churches today who know that sinners are lost, but make no attempt to win them to Christ, and who nod on Sundays and give mental assent to the truth, but put none of it into their lives. Now, Jesus said he would rather these people be either cold or hot than to be lukewarm. In other words, Jesus would rather them to be as cold as an avowed atheist to him than to be in the church being lukewarm, reflecting by compromise the temperature of the world. For no testimony is better than a poor testimony. The attitude of the people in the Laodicean church was not only of indifference, it was also that of independence. I mean, uh, look at verse 17. Jesus said, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, this church was independent and arrogant, thus reflecting the attitude of the town. History records that the city of Laodicea was a very wealthy city during John's time. The wool industry had brought much fame and fortune to the inhabitants, so much that the proud inhabitants at one time refused the financial support the Roman emperor offered in A.D. 60 to rebuild the earthquake-devastated city, preferring to rebuild it out of their own resources. Laodiceans were too rich at that time to accept help from anybody. Likewise, this attitude carried over into the church. The church members thought they had everything they needed. Thus, they did not need anything or anybody, including God. Today, wherever we find a church that feels it does not need revival, that's the very church that needs revival. I'll tell you what, I, I've noticed it seems like it is a, it's been a trend now, Matt, for about 15 years mm-hmm. that pastors, and I, I know that there are a lot of younger pastors that's on fire for God, and I, I understand that, but there are a lot of these emergent church pastors today, yep. uh, they don't ever have revival services. Mm-mm. And, uh, oh, we have revival all the time, but the church is dead as a hammer. That's right. You know, I'll tell you what, um, my church needs revival. And we need we we're gonna to plan to have a revival service. Jesus tears and coming, and mm-hmm. and we try to have them. Uh, so I encourage you out there, if you're a pastor listening, you know, if you're at the point you think you don't need revival, hey, you don't want it really needs revival. That's right. And wherever we find a person that does not feel the need of God, that person really needs God. The people in this church did not understand true their true condition. They didn't. Jesus said that spiritually speaking, they were wretched, mm. miserable poor, blind, and naked. Now, spiritually speaking, they were all these things. They were poor. The word wretched means pressed with a burden. 
It is not the burden of poverty, but the burden of wealth that press them. We think wealth is a blessing, but God says it's a curse or can be a curse. Few people learn how to hold their wealth, so instead their wealth holds or dominates them. Today, the question is not whether the church can survive persecution, but whether the church can survive prosperity. Mm -hmm. The word miserable means deserving pity. The word poor means pauper and beggar, and blind could be better translated, perhaps nearsighted. The people in this church could not see beyond themselves. Their vision was opaque. They lacked light and vision. And then he says they were naked. A church should be clothed with the glory and the beauty of God. Taking this into consideration, we can truthfully say that here was a church that had nothing. It possessed none of the things the bride of Christ should possess. Other churches had white raiment. This church had nothing. Uh, we've seen the attitude of the church. Now let's focus our attention on the uh, appeals of Christ. Yeah, Dad, we're, we're going to do that in just a second. But I want to just talk about something. Uh, I wrote down a word that you, you said, um, and it was an attitude of, of indifference. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I really, that spoke to me there for a second because I feel like that's what we see a lot in today's church. Right. This, this attitude of indifference. It's uh, n no one's really excited about uh, the things of God. No one's really excited about going out and spreading the gospel. Uh -huh. uh, no one seems to be burdened for lost people. Um, no one's uh, longing for the return of Christ. You uh -huh. know, I was talking to a friend this week, Dad, and uh, and he's much like me. He feels like we are living in the last days, and mm -hmm. that Jesus' return could be at any time. And he's excited about it, right. as I as I am. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to everybody he gets a chance to about that Jesus could come back today, and. He, he's so discouraged because he said, you know, Matt, people don't want to hear that. Right. And, and he said to me, he said, I just don't understand it. And I said, well, I said to him, I said, well, you know, th there are people that are sitting in our church pews that don't want to hear about it and don't want to think about it. I've talked to good Bible-believing Christians that you, you talk about Jesus' return, and they say, well, I hope he doesn't come back soon because I've got all these other things I want to do. Uh -huh. Or i got all these things I want to see. They just seem to have a, 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 an attitude of indifference. And mm -hmm. one of the words I used in the lead-in, Dad, was nominal. And that nominal Christianity is a, is a term that I learned probably about a year ago and, and, and really got to understand it. And it's that face value, low surface level Christianity. Mm -hmm. Cr Christianity on the top, mm -hmm. but nothing down below, nothing deep. Right. And that seems to be what this Laodicean church was. They were nominal Christians, just like the nominal Christians that we have that's so pervasive in the church of today. And uh, like you said, our churches need revival. Right. You know, we, we, we need to, to not be indifferent to the things of God. We need to not be indifferent to, to sinners who are lost around us. And, and we, goodness, we've got the cure uh, to death, mm -hmm. uh, and that's through Jesus Christ, and we don't want to share it. It just, yeah. it just bothers me uh, so much. You know, Matt, it made me think about something that, you know, you know, I love my church, and I love the people in our church. And, but about uh, two weeks ago, uh, we decided that we'd have a call for prayer because of the war taking place in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I told everybody, well, just, just come early before our small groups meet at 6 o'clock at 530. And you remember you were there. And yeah. we had uh, quite a few people to come because there was a, 
a national crisis affecting uh, countries around the world, not sure. just Ukraine, but could it affect us, you know. And then, you know, our hearts go out to these folks, these innocent people that are being attacked over there in Ukraine. And, and we had a wonderful prayer service. And and people showed up and they prayed and and it was such a good feeling and and uh, it just felt like the spirit of God was there and I but I wonder how many people would have come and I said all right now we're gonna come tonight at five thirty and we'll pray for lost people mm. you see uh, if we wouldn't have had that many that would have shown indifference yeah and uh, and I think it sometimes shows indifference on Wednesday nights when the hour of power is uh, the time of prayer. And, you know, people, uh, that is the least, that's the thing that's least on their mind. You know, the, the least important service in the church is the prayer service. I remember one time reading about Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher at the Met- Metropolitan Tabernacle back in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's, he's like called the Prince of Preachers. So many people read his books and, and, and he was, God used him in such a powerful way. And he, he, he died a relatively young man and his, his lifespan of ministry wasn't that long, but foot filled with the, the power of God and working. Someone asked him one time, what's the power source of your church? And I, I wonder if maybe, uh, in reading back to that, thinking about that illustration, if they were talking about, you know, uh, the lights, the, the, the heat, something like that. He took them down to the, something like the basement and showed them all the people on their knees. He said, that's the power source <laughs> right there. That's, that's the power source of my church. That's it. And that, that's a good point, dad. I, I, uh, about the, the prayer meeting that we had for, for Ukraine. And you're right. We had people come out and, uh, in broken heart, you know, lift up, uh, the need to, uh, to, to God, uh, for what was going on in Ukraine. And, and no doubt that's a situation that needs prayer. That's, you know, people that are, are dying and just a terrible situation. And there doesn't seem to be a good answer uh, to fix it. Uh, but you're right. I, I just wonder, you know, if we said, hey, we're, we're going to have a re- re- prayer for revival, how many people would just come gather around the altar early mm-hmm. uh, to pray for that? And, you know, I remember back when I was growing up, and you you know this better than I do, we used to have uh, cottage prayer meetings, you know, pr- praying right. in the houses for, for a revival that was upcoming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people will, I remember vividly when I was a little boy, these houses being packed with people praying mm-hmm. uh, for revival. And, uh, you know, it seems like in recent years, I think we, we've tried to have those, but we couldn't hardly gain enough interest uh, for people to come to them. And that's just a Laodicean mindset that we've got in our church today, a lukewarmness uh, in the church of today. And and uh, we, we need to pray that God will send revival to us, that's for sure. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, as a preacher— uh, I, I love people to use the altar of the church, you know, the front yeah. of the church. Uh, I know that uh, we can get along with God anywhere, yeah. and we can pray in our seat in the church, pray at our home, in the car, etc. I mean, we do that. But uh, I, I think about what Jesus said about uh, the temple being a house of prayer. Yeah. And when we look at the amount of time we, we put praying and compare that to the amount of time we do other things in the church. It's very minimum. And I, I would just love for people, uh, you know, near the end of the service, when when uh, folks come with burdens and come to pray, that others would come and uh, not ask them what the burden is, but just gather around and pray next to them. Yeah. And, and come down and pray. They got lost family members, you know, and lost people they work with. And come down and and pray for their souls to be saved. That 
I think that's that's something missing in churches today. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. And you're right. I mean, we can we can talk to to God and and access Him anywhere, uh, but there is something special about the the, the church house, the building. Uh, because it's been set aside as a as a holy place to, for the purpose of worshiping of of God, and uh, and that altar uh, itself has been kind of again set aside and 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 for the purpose of of taking your needs and your burdens to God, and and so uh, the altars have been empty for, for quite some time, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it it is it is challenging and troubling to think about how our altars have been so empty mm-hmm. in our churches and. Uh, that leads me into thinking about how our baptism pools have been so empty, you know, in recent years. Uh, just living in this lukewarm, lukewarm age that we're in right now. Well, let's uh, let's look, move on a little bit and, and get deeper into our conversation and look here at the appeal uh, that Christ made to the Laodicean church. Let's look at verses um, eighteen through nineteen. Let's read that together. It says, "I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich." A white garment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Dad, I was I was reading this this verse here and thinking about what I was going to say. I got to thinking about the Laodiceans. Uh, Jesus obviously knew who he was talking to, and so he uses language that would resonate with them. The Laodiceans were were a rich congregation. Mm-hmm. No doubt they had gained gold from selling and and being merchants. Mm-hmm. Yet their gold was not going to be uh, the gold that, uh, that God was selling. That God was talking about. It was the right. gold of this world. Right. And the Laodiceans, they were traders of fine garments. Remember in my intro, we talked about them being Mm -hmm. um, a producer of this nice dark wool. And so they sold that wool and traded with others. Mm -hmm. And so they had wool. But you see, their wool and their clothes was nothing that would cover the nakedness of a man's soul. They were also dealers in expensive uh, ointments, such ointments, though, that could never heal the poor spiritual vision that they had. So Jesus appeals to him and he says, come by for me. Now, that statement of come by for me may sound a little weird. You know, why is Jesus asking them to, to come enter into a, a monetary transaction with him? But remember, he knew who he was speaking to. He's speaking to merchants. So he's using that language to get across to them. But he was not asking them to come and, and to buy with money. He was asking them to come and purchase without money. Right. And that is a beautiful picture of what grace is. Right. Uh, what God gives us is not purchased. We don't purchase salvation. Right. We don't purchase righteousness. It's mm. given to us through yeah. the grace of God. And that's what his appeal was to them. He he wanted them to come by from him gold refined by fire. This was a call to come by the righteousness of God that could be tested and tried through anything. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't fail. It wouldn't be devalued or degraded like the the gold or the money of this world. It was everlasting in mm-hmm. its value. That's right. He encouraged them to come and, and buy garments. Uh, the garments is, again, a call for righteousness because it talks about a white garment. And that garment was to cover their nakedness. I remember, I just recall, you know, uh, that brings me back to thinking about Genesis there where Adam and Eve were in the garden. And when they realized that uh, they had, you know, committed the first sin and they became aware that they were without clothes, first thing God did was to make clothes in order to cover them. Mm-hmm. And he's offering to these Christians to come by the clothes, the righteousness to cover themselves 
uh, with his righteousness, yeah. these white garments. You know, I think about Adam and Eve, you know, obviously they were naked in the garden yep. before they put the clothes on. And, and some would say, well, didn't they realize they were naked before they sinned? Well, listen, they were clothed with the glory of God. That's right. And when they sinned, they lost the glory. That's it. And all the fig leaves in the world did not match the glory that they lost. That's, that's, that's very good. And probably worse, worse than all of this um, is the, the fact that we've talked about is they were blind. They couldn't see these, these Laodicean Christians. Mm-hmm. So Jesus calls for them to anoint their eyes with eye salve. And again, this would have been something they were very familiar with because mm-hmm. they were one of the producers of a very notable eye salve of their time so that their eyes could be revealed uh, and they could see their spiritual condition. Now, uh, what is this eye salve? Well, this eye salve isn't something that was physically applied. It's something that's spiritually applied. And it was by seeking God and, and, and seeking His Word and allowing His Holy Spirit to work in them, the, the scales would be removed from their eyes and they would mm-hmm. begin to be able to see their true spiritual condition and how just how far away from God and how lukewarm they were. Dad, I love verse 19, though, because this speaks to the true heart of, of who Jesus is. Despite these Laodiceans being, uh, having an attitude of indifference, as we talked about, and being lukewarm, uh, Jesus still showed his love for them, and that's exhibited again over in verse 19. Let's look at that together. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, uh, zealous and repent. And so Jesus tells them that, you know, just as uh, a loving parent uh, will discipline a child in order to correct them, uh, he was planning to chasten them, uh, to correct them of their ways, to helpfully bring them to the point and the ultimate goal, which would be for them to repent, to turn away from what they were doing, to turn away from this uh, living kind of a lavish lifestyle and just being focused in on the things of this world and to turn their attention back to the things of God. And another thing that I saw there, Dad, in verse 19 is, is the word zealous is used. And Jesus was calling them to stir up the fire in their heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, when you have a fire, many of you uh, maybe have a, a fire that you, you use to heat your house or you've been out at a campfire and you've seen that fire uh, get down to where it's just kind of white ashes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you look at those white ashes and you can't see a fire. Uh, you, you can't tell that there there's heat there. There's any power that can be generated from that. But if you get in there with with a stick and you begin to to turn over those ashes and you begin to stir them up, you'll you'll notice that they'll start to turn red. And the more you stir and the more air that gets in there, ultimately a flame will come back up. And that's wow. what what God was calling them to do. That's what Jesus was calling them to do is to stir up. Uh, their hearts, and to, mm-hmm. to return to being on fire for God. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as, you, as you said, or I think maybe I said, one of the two of us said as the, in the lead in, there's really two only, only two spiritual conditions that's really acceptable, either being on fire for God or being cold. Right. At least if they were cold, they would know they were cold. But just riding the fence there, that, that's no way to, to approach the things of God. And so he wanted them to stir up their hearts mm-hmm. and to, again, cultivate a burning heart toward God. And, and uh that appeal that Christ made to them, um, he makes to us today. And uh, he, he wants us to do those same things if we find ourselves being in a position of being uh, a lukewarm or being indifferent to the things of God. But he goes on and he takes it further and he gives an invitation uh, to these Laodiceans, Dad, in verses 20 through 22. Uh, share the invitation Christ gives. I'll be glad to do that. That's found in verses 20 
through 22. Jesus said in verse 20 to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, I want you to note here in verse 20, I'm just going to stop at verse 20 and then we'll read verse 21, that Jesus is presenting himself to this church, is standing outside the door of the church. Now, that's a pitiful thing that uh, this church is meeting, but Jesus is not there. He's outside the door of the church. Now, reading it in its context, that is is what we're having the picture of. And Jesus is inviting. He's knocking. And he said, if anyone, anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I'll come into him. Let me tell you something. You might be in a church that's very lukewarm today. The people are just indifferent. The, the pastor preaches uh, his heart out with passion and, and urges people to come and pray and, and seek God, and, and nobody goes to the altar and pray. Nobody is seeking God. They, they sit like, you know, a deer in headlights at night, you know, no move of God. But God is speaking to the individual. Notice, he said, if anyone, if anyone... He didn't say, hey, the whole church. He said, if anyone, Mm. if anyone, our Lord speaks it to the individual, to the church member. You see, our Lord, our risen Lord, standing at the closed door, asking people, if anyone will come and open the door, I'll come in. And notice whether or not he fellowships with everybody in the church. He said, if you will open the door, I will come in. And I'll dine with that person. I will dine with him and he with me. Mm-hmm. In other words, I have supper with you. And fellowship. supper is a time of fellowship. That's right. So you might be a, a member of a lukewarm church today. But God is saying, even though you're lukewarm, and uh, I, won't, I want to have fellowship with you. And, and if you'll just let me in, I'll have that fellowship with you. And, and God can begin having fellowship with you. And you go to that lukewarm church, uh, perhaps uh, God working in your life will speak to the lives of other people. You know, it's a sad thing for Jesus to be seen here uh, in this last church in Revelation, standing outside on the porch, knocking on the door, wanting to come in and have fellowship with people. But he's willing to fellowship with anybody that's in there that will open the door. Now, we can also look at this door in a spiritual way and and say that the door could also not just represent the door of the church, but the door of our heart, our individual lives. You know, it's interesting. I showed you before we started this podcast, I, I baptized a, a man. He's a first grade teacher in my church, a wonderful fella. I got to know him uh, over the last year, and he came uh, to know God much better over the last several months, and he's he loves Jesus, and he's faithful to the church. And when I was in his house and I was talking to him about Jesus, and I told him that uh, I want you to think about your your heart, your inwardmost being, and uh, and think about that, you know, Jesus is—, is I saw a picture one time of Jesus being outside a door knocking, and that 
that that picture uh, represents God knocking on the door of the human heart, the individual. And I said, now, if you ever look at that picture, if you ever see that picture sometime, you'll notice that that picture does not present a doorknob on the outside. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. The door uh, the doorknob to our hearts on the inside. If God is knocking on our heart's door, we are the ones that must open the door and invite him to come in. Now, Jesus was wanting to come in and have fellowship with the whole church, but he was willing to fellowship with any individual in that church that would open the door to their own heart and let Jesus come in. And so sometimes as as Christians, you know, God can be in our life, but we can dethrone him. We need to give him access uh, to be the Lord of our life once again. But if you're a lost person out there today, he's outside your life and he's knocking on the door of your heart. and He wants you to open the door and let him come in and have fellowship with you. Now, I want you to note that when we invite Jesus in, uh, let's look here at verse 21. It says, to him who overcomes... I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Mm-hmm. Note that when we invite Jesus in, God's supper room, he talked about I'll sup with you in a verse before, God's yep. supper room becomes a throne room. We will share the privilege and authority that Christ enjoys as we reign with him. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about the fact that God Jesus is going to allow me as a Christian, one of his followers, to co-rule, to reign with him. Now, obviously, he is God. He is the ruler. That's right. But we that that invite him into our lives and live for him and serve him down here on this earth, God will give us a greater opportunity to serve him uh, when we go to heaven and serve him for eternity and and then to reign with him, to have responsibility, and to rule, and to reign with him. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to his disciples, which kind of parallels this a little bit in Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. Uh, I'll just start with verse 29. Jesus said, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You know, that's parallel with what Jesus is saying. That's right. He's saying this to his disciples. And sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here we got the 12 disciples, and they're going to co-rule and reign with Jesus. Uh, but the good news is those that, that answer his door knock and open up their heart's door and let Jesus come in and live inside of them and live for him on this earth and love him that when they die, when they're in heaven one day uh, for eternity, we will fellowship with God and we'll get to reign with Jesus. And, uh, and folks, I hope you're taking it, taking all this in because in verse 22, he says to this church, like he has said in, in one form or another, almost the same words, I would say, in every other instance to these churches. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what Spirit says to the churches. I hope you're listening. Now, today, uh, if you're in a lukewarm church, maybe God can use you and you can, you can open up the door 
of your heart and, and fellowship with Jesus and and uh, and bring him into the church. And maybe uh, you getting zealous, you repenting and getting zealous with the Lord, uh, you catching on fire, maybe to catch that church on fire that oh, you're sure. a member of. I hope it will. If you're a pastor out there listening, I hope you get on fire to catch your church on fire. But uh, here's something else to those that are lost. And this church was probably a mixture, like all churches today, of lost people and uh, and people that are saved. And in this case, they were even in, indifferent, the ones that were saved. Uh, he's, telling, he's telling you, hey, you as an individual, if you'll just open up the door of your heart and, and repent of your sins, I'll come in and live in you and change you, and uh, and I'll make my residence in your life. But just remember, he's not going to force you. He's weighing you. I'm looking at that picture that my good friend gave me uh, that I gave the illustration to in his house. I appreciate that. It's going to be in my Bible and has been there for a while. And uh, I'm looking at that picture, and it's reminding me to tell you that the doorknob to your heart's on the inside, and use that doorknob. You hear God knocking. God knocks on the door of your heart through conviction. Open that door and let him in. Now, I'm talking to some people here today that are members of a church, but they're lost. Mm. And I remember we had a guy named uh, Terry Chup. <coughs> you remember this. It's been probably about 14, 15 years ago, Matt. I don't know yep. if Terry Chup's still living or not today. He was a chaplain to professional bass fishermen. He was a deacon at a big Baptist church in Atlanta, and there's a bunch of big Baptist churches in Atlanta. And the invitation was given one day, and the pastor was was given the invitation, but really it was God giving the invitation, and uh, God's Holy Spirit got to dealing with Terry Chup's heart, and uh, God, he felt like God telling him, you need to be saved. And uh, Terry was was thinking uh, of every excuse not to go down that aisle and get saved. He said, well, you know, Lord, I'm a deacon, and uh, I'm, I'm ordained a deacon. I've been a member of this church for years and years and years. And then something crossed his mind that I believe perhaps God put on his mind. He got to thinking, you know, when I go home to my house, I don't have to knock on my door because I got the key. So why is God knocking on the door of my heart? It's because he wants to come in. That's right. And so, uh, so he went down and he gave his life to God, and his life totally changed. And and about that time, he was an older gentleman. He just dedicated his the rest of his life to living for God, and uh, became a a chaplain on the professional bass fishing circuit because you know they fish on Sundays. They need somebody to go and talk to them about Jesus, you know, and kind of win souls. And uh, he loved fishing, and he felt a call to fishermen. And so, you know, God, Jesus tells us to be a fisherman of men. He became a fisherman of fishermen. And so could be that uh, God is knocking on the door of your heart through conviction right now. And you're and there's a lot of wrestling going on in your mind. Say, oh, you know, I've been a preacher to uh, such such baptize me. But God keeps knocking on the door of your heart, not leaving you alone. It could be just like Terry. You think about it. Why is God knocking on the door of your heart? Uh, you knock on your. You don't knock on your door at home. You got the key. Maybe it's time to listen to God. That's right. That's right. Well, Dad, uh, this has been a, a great episode and a great series uh, for all of our listeners. I appreciate you for uh, sticking with us through the series and encourage you just to think about what we talked about here today about being lukewarm. Uh, maybe you're thinking to yourself, "Well, I don't quite understand it. What what exactly does it mean to be lukewarm?" and and uh, I was just thinking to myself, what would be a test, uh, a lukewarm Christian test? And and uh, I guess my, my test would be the lukewarm Christian uh, definitely knows the things of God, is quick to say that they worship God or they serve God. They know all the right answers, 
but a lukewarm Christian or a Christian that's living in a nominal life is going to be indifferent to the things of God, going to be indifferent to sinners who are lost around them. Uh, and a nominal or lukewarm Christian is not going to have fellowship with God. And I, I asked you today, do you have fellowship with God? And, and, uh, and, and, and what does it mean to have fellowship? You know, it's more than going to church. It's more than going to Sunday school. Uh, fellowship with God is not happening just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday evening. That's right. In That's fact, right. true fellowship with God happens outside of those times. Mm-hmm. When you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, when you're spending time meditating on God's Word and, and thinking about what God's Word said to you and what it means and how that can be applied in your life and how you can do better to serve God more and bring God more glory. And so I just wondered, do you have fellowship? And that I was thinking about it. I've lived through a period of my life where I didn't have fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. I was going through the motions. I was checking the boxes. I, I, I was a, a nominal Christian at best. I was a lukewarm Christian at best. Um, but I, I made a change, and I repented, and I, I sought after God, and I wanted to have a relationship with God. And I said, God, I, I want to know you. I want to experience you. Uh, please make yourself real to me. Mm-hmm. And I uh, began to get into God's Word and to, and to pray. And let me tell you, friends, when you have fellowship with God, it is impossible to be lukewarm. That's right. It's impossible to be nominal. Once, you, once you've once you had that experience of having fellowship with God, uh, you, you, you can't just go through an experience with, with talking with God and fellowshiping with Him and not come out of that and just be indifferent. That's right. Uh, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you, if you, you think to yourself, well, I don't have fellowship with God, that you do what the Scripture says here, that you repent, that you turn from your ways, turn from whatever's distracting you from God. You seek God first. And begin to say, God, I, I want to know you. I want to seek you. I want to. I want you to be real to me, and make yourself known to me. And I promise you uh, that as you get into His Word and you begin to read and pray, He will reveal Himself to you, and uh, you, you won't be lukewarm anymore. That mm-hmm. that fire will begin to to burn. And as you said, Dad, uh, your fire begins to burn. Hopefully, your fire is going to catch other people on fire. That's right. And they're going to see what you you've got going on. They're going to say, Man, he's so happy. He's he's so uh, he, he's so joyful. He's he's so at peace with things. Everything around him is going terrible, but he doesn't seem to be phased by it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, I want that. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's going to be attractive to him. So I just encourage you all uh, who are listening today to, to take that little test there. Are you a lukewarm Christian? Are you in a lukewarm church? And uh, uh, we need to all pray for revival. I'd ask all of our, our Bonefire families, members here that listen to us on a regular basis, pray for revival. And I'm not talking about the revival that we put on the calendar and set aside a a few days or a week to have services. We need uh, old-time Holy Ghost revival that sweeps across uh, this country, and not only this country, but, man, we need it to sweep across the globe and see people turning back to Jesus and giving their hearts to Him and, and coming to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. So be praying for your own personal revival, but pray that God will send revival to our world. Amen. Yeah, pray us out of here. Our Father in heaven, you know, Lord, we love you, and we're glad, Father, that you love us. And our Heavenly Father, uh, we know you're in control of who's going to run across this podcast and listen to it. Our Heavenly Father, I, I pray that it may encourage a pastor, uh, Lord, to, to be on fire, to be zealous for you. Uh, Lord, he could be that one. 
uh, that would open up the door and invite you in, have fellowship. Lord, it would, it would, he'd catch on fire, as Matt said, it, it, church catch on fire. Could be a, a deacon, could be a Sunday school teacher, just a regular member, Lord, in a church. And God, we know that there perhaps, there were perhaps many that were lost in that church. There's a lot of lost people in churches today. And, uh, Lord, even though the context of this is Jesus being on the door of the church, but Lord, in a way, He's on the door. He stands at the door of every heart, knocking in conviction of lost people, and He wanting those people to open the door and invite Him in. Let Jesus be Lord, invite Him in, and give Him access to every room. I pray if anyone's listening to this, uh, this podcast today, that uh, hears You knocking, Lord. Uh, that they would have opened the door of their heart and invite Jesus to come in and live for it and be a church this coming Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonfireministries at gmail.com.